Uh, so a little bit about me. I am from Northern Virginia, like Mike said. I'm about 45 minutes from D.C. I am the youngest of four kids, and being the youngest, I learned a lot of what to do, but especially what not to do uh, from my older siblings, especially when it came to talking to my parents. And whenever you ask my parents for something, they're very gracious and giving people and very loving people, but they're very firm in their answers. So you can't go to dad and get a no and then go to mom and try to get a yes. It, it never worked out that way. But I would always try to butter them up, especially for the big asks. Like uh, one time I, I really wanted to have a sleepover at my friend Eric's house. So I went up to my mom with my best puppy dog eyes and I said, mom, I love you so much. You do so much for this family. You've raised us to be such hard workers. I'm so proud to be your son. And because you've raised us to be such hard workers, I've done all of my homework and all of my chores. So can I have a sleepover at Eric's? And God bless this woman. She saw exactly through, she saw through what I was trying to do. She smiled, shook her head, and put her hand on my shoulder, and she said, no, but you can help cook dinner. <laughs> I, I know uh, Stephen gave you all the context for the book of Philemon last Sunday, but as you all turn there again in your Bibles, uh, I want to give you all a little refresher and hopefully give you a little more historical and cultural context. So, in ancient culture, slaves didn't have their own personal rights. They were viewed as property for their masters. And as such, their masters uh, often beat, even killed slaves without reason or consequence. But Christians were called to a higher standard, showing grace and mercy, not treating slaves as less than, like property, but treating them as brothers and sisters, so much as to bring them to salvation through their love. Philemon's slave, Onesimus, uh, which I might be saying wrong, I'm sorry, uh, he fled to Rome after stealing from Philemon. And he met Paul in Rome. Paul was in prison at the time. And Paul actually led him to salvation. And it was through his own conviction that Onesimus wanted to return to Colossae. But of course, he was fearful of the consequences that awaited his return. So Paul wrote this letter to Philemon as an advocate for Onesimus. And in this letter, Paul had a big ask. He asked Philemon to forgive all debt and show mercy in withholding any punishment. And he also, even more so, asked Philemon to welcome Anisimus with open arms as a brother, giving him a whole new identity, which is a huge ask. Uh, we start today in verse 4. Paul says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love and all for all his holy people, and your faith in the Lord Jesus. 
Now here, it may sound like Paul's just buttering Philemon up for the big ask. But truly, this is Paul living out what Philemon most likely just heard in his letter to the Colossian church, where he says, I believe, uh, in verse 2 of chapter 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul exemplifies the servitude of a leader to the church through prayer and also acknowledges Philemon as a man of very strong faith. In these two verses, we will see two different aspects of spiritual leadership. Both stem or overflow from our faith in God and are perfected in Jesus. The first being with Paul. In all of Paul's letters to churches, he prays for the church as a whole, but he also prays for specific members and their needs within the church. As the founder of a whole lot of churches within Europe and Asia, Paul physically served these churches but it was his spiritual service and prayer that continued long after, even when he was in jail. And as we read in the verses, Paul thanks God that the Colossian church has a man like Philemon in it because of his physical service. And that physical service stems from his faith in Jesus, Jesus being the ultimate example of a servant leader. Our service is an outpour from our faith in Jesus. Growing up, uh, every morning I could see my mom reading her Bible and writing in her journal. And to this day, whenever she finds something uh, extremely fascinating or especially fascinating, she makes sure to tell us and talks for hours. Uh, And whenever something good happens, and we tell her about it. Of course, she's happy. She's our mom, but she always makes sure to say that she's been praying for us. And I honestly took her spiritual leadership or spiritual service for granted until college when I realized that she's been exemplifying the importance of prayer, the importance of scripture memorization, and the power of reading your Bible every day much like I did with my dad. Growing up, uh, my dad traveled a bit for work, and I honestly resented him for it until, once again, college. Uh, I missed my dad, but I didn't realize until college that him being gone was way harder on him because, yes, I missed my dad, but he missed four kids and his wife. And it's because of my dad's sacrifice that My family was blessed, and I realized that both of my parents were great examples of that spiritual and physical service in my life. Paul continues in in verse 6. He says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Now it's really obvious that Paul isn't just trying to butter up Philemon, but instead, as advocate for Onesimus, he's calling Philemon to that higher standard of grace and mercy. 
And in saying that he prays for his faith to be effective, he's saying that Philemon showing grace and mercy is a direct application for the gospel to his surrounding community. Because our reflection and sharing of the gospel is in response to God's grace and mercy for us. A little more about my story. Uh, I grew up in the church. My parents are very strong Christians, uh, but I didn't have my own faith. Yes, I, I knew God. I knew all of the right answers in Bible study, in, in Sunday school, but I didn't know God, if that makes sense. I, I didn't have my own faith until about sophomore year of high school. You see, I had made uh, idols of myself, things that I held higher than God. And over the process of a couple of months, those idols were broken, and it left me broken. I became very depressed. Uh, but one day, I remember my friend invited me to his youth group. Uh, he came up to me at my locker, and he said, John, you look like crap. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man. Yeah, I feel that way. And he just put his arm around my shoulder. He's like, you should just come to my youth group. I was like, okay, good sell. Uh, so I went with him to his youth group. And I remember for a little bit, I was still that kid that knew all the answers from Sunday school. But one day, the youth pastor preached a message out of Matthew 6, 24 through 34. And I don't even remember his message, but all of a sudden, this huge God that I had a lot of knowledge about but still seemed distant became extremely close, and I found out that he knows me intimately and wants to provide for me, and all I have to do is seek him instead of my own selfish desires like I had been. I remember that night, I wrote down in my little journal all of this past sins I could think of, and I confessed them, and I prayed that God could save me from myself and help me know him as he knows me. And that summer, at a Christian sports camp with that same friend, I felt my call to ministry. I remember it was, it was a bunch of sweaty guys standing in the back of the sanctuary with our arms around each other, swaying back and forth as we sang 10,000 Reasons and just cried our eyes out. Uh, I felt this is how God saved my life, and this is how I need to serve him. Uh, but going back to the message, Philemon was a very wealthy member of the Colossian church. And as a wealthy member, he most likely had the space in his house to have church in his house. So not only were his personal letter from Paul delivered at the same time as the Colossian letter, or Paul's letter to the Colossian church, but they were most likely delivered to Philemon's house. So before Philemon even read his letter from Paul, he most likely heard these very words from Paul to the Colossian church. Uh, he says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against one another. 
Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. And later, and I feel like this really sat on Philemon's heart when he read his personal letter, Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. As Christians, we, what sets us apart from society is our love and our, our sacrificial love and our servitude. What unites us is our pursuit of love and obedience to Jesus. That's what unites us as his body. As the church, we strive to be beacons in our communities. People experience God's unconditional love and steadfast love for humanity through us serving them. And they recognize the genuineness, the authenticity of our love comes from God's love for us. Because our love is a reaction to God's love for us. I remember uh, in my internship during my undergrad, I was gifted the ninth and 10th grade boys who just happened to be the most rambunctious small group of the whole ministry. And I truly think to this day that they are the most rambunctious group in the church's history. These, these guys, they really put me through the ringer. They really did. And I tried my best to remain intentional with them and relational with them and pour the truth of God's word into their lives. But when I graduated and it came time for me to leave, I, there wasn't a whole lot of fruit that I saw. So I felt as if I had failed them. And it made leaving really hard. Uh, but one of the guys uh, who happened to be the ringleader of the whole group uh, called me one day and basically broke down. He apologized for how they all acted and apologized that it took me leaving for them to realize the truth of God's word that I had been pouring into them and just realize how hard I had been trying to love on them. Um, And he told me that, the whole group actually gave their life to Christ at a summer camp that summer. And I later found out that they went on to be leaders in the youth ministry their junior and senior year. But I I hung up that phone and I just cried. I was so happy. And in that moment, I realized three things uh, more than ever. The first is that God's word does not return void. The second is that the love that goes into ministry is in no way human. It only comes from God. And the third is that I can't do anything else but ministry for the rest of my life. I refuse. I want to end today with some encouragement from the uh, last verse of our passage, verse 7. Paul says, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts 
of Lord's people. There's a lot of different aspects of sacrificial love. Uh, Two major ones which are perfected in Jesus are service and forgiveness. They're perfected in Jesus because he came down from heaven, lived the perfect life that none of us could, and took on all of our past, present, and future sin and died the death that we deserve. And in doing so, he made a way for us to join in relationship with him and write that relationship with him for eternity. And he made, in doing so, he gave us a new life. He gave us a new identity. And if we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we leave our past dead self behind. Our past sinful self dead behind. Uh, R.C. Sproul put it this way. He said, the love of God is not a sentimental emotion, but a sacrificial love that seeks our highest good. That means that God's love isn't the fickle and fleeting love that you feel whenever you're young and naive, but it's profound beyond all understanding, and it pushes us to worship him. It means that no matter how many times we've given God every reason not to, God still loves us, God still forgives us because because of Jesus' sacrifice. Because of his sacrifice, he took on all of our sin so that we can take on his righteousness. And that highest good is salvation. That highest good is intimacy with God in worship and prayer that can only be accessed through Jesus. We, as the church, refresh each other. We encourage each other through service through worshiping together, through praying for one another, through serving one another, helping each other, spurring each other on to reach that highest good. Because ultimately, our lives are in reverence of what God has done for us. And it's for the glory of God that we are called to live. Let's pray.